Welcome to the Working on Wellbeing podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Cunningham, and I am passionate about the science behind how we can all work on our well-being. That's how I came to lead the World Wellbeing Movement, a non-profit social impact organization housed within the University of Oxford's Wellbeing Research Centre. Our mission is to improve the quality of life of people across the world by connecting the world's leading well-being experts with those people who can have the biggest impact, so with business leaders and policymakers. And through my work, I get to meet the most incredible people. That's why we've created this podcast, so that you can be a fly on the wall during my conversations with the world's leading well-being experts. In today's episode, we'll discuss everything from the importance of diversity, inclusion and belonging to the world's largest study of employee well-being and the lessons that we can take from that. So I am delighted to introduce all the way from California, the brilliant LaFawn Davis, Senior Vice President of Environmental, Social and Governance, or ESG at Indeed. LaFawn, you are so welcome. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm excited to be here. Oh, we're absolutely thrilled. And LaFawn, your career has been so impressive. So I am really excited to delve into that. But I thought that a good place to start would be to start with your current role as Senior Vice President of ESG. Because of course... ESG is one of those acronyms that we hear batted around all the time these days, but I'm really hoping that you can demystify it for us and tell us a bit about your role and what your team works on. Well, absolutely. So you are, you are so right, Sarah. ESG means different things to different companies. So it really depends on the kind of company that you are. Um, for Indeed, we are, of course, a, a jobs platform. And so for us, environmental, of course, means uh, climate change. And so we want to do what we can to make sure that not only are our operations as a business um, reducing our carbon footprint, going towards net zero, but we also want to make sure that our products are helping people reduce their carbon footprint. So, uh, for example, if you use Indeed Interview, that means you're not commuting to an interview, um, you're not using any of that, you're not going into an office, and so it, it's saving on, on greenhouse gas emissions. When we look at our social space, we have um, different teams working on that. So that is our social impact team, which has programs, partnerships, product as well, and those goals are really towards society. So a lot of S, a lot of the S pillar is typically around focusing within a company. So maybe they're focusing on their employee base or they're making sure certain communities feel like they belong or have certain trainings. We're focused on society. So we wanna make sure that we are helping 30 million job seekers facing barriers get hired by the year 2030. 
And we also want to make sure that we're shortening the duration of job search by 50%. So that's making sure that people who are unemployed can get jobs much quicker than they did before. We also have within our social space to make sure that we increase the number of people who are happy or have subjective well-being at work as well. And then when you get into our governance space, a lot of times governance is about how you report. Um, there's a lot of kind of legal and compliance in that space. But for us, that's where we put uh, how we focus within. So we want to make sure that we have 50% of our workforce as women at all levels by the year 2030. Uh, we also want to make sure that in the U.S. we have... Um, 30% underrepresented ethnic minorities by the year 2030 as well. And so another team that I forgot to mention is AI ethics. That sits in between our social space and our governance space because that team is making sure that our products are ethical when we're talking about AI and ML or machine learning, but also making sure that we're looking at our workforce uh, properly. So ESG for Indeed means something a little different than other companies that might be more around manufacturing or have a different business model. Maybe they lean in a little bit more on the environment than we do. Um, for us, our S pillar, our social pillar is really um, what is just centered in our business model and our business strategy. Wow, <laughs> that's a lot. Um, you and your team are really creating so much good in the world. I think that's incredible. Um, you've raised a lot of important points, which I really want to dive into. But before I do, I'm afraid I'm going to have to embarrass you first by highlighting some of the awards and accolades that you have won. So I want to get these right. I have them written down. You have been named Entrepreneur Magazine's 100 Women of Impact list, on the Fast Company's Queer 50 list, on San Francisco Business Times' Most Influential Women in Business list, and Fortune's Most Powerful Women. And that's not even the full list. I mean, it's remarkable. You are such an, an impressive business leader. But what I want to know is how you got started. Was there a defining moment in time for you that led you to your quite unique but hugely impactful career? Oh, well, that's a that's a hard question. Uh, yes. So I think um, so if I go way, 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 way back, uh, my career started, the, 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 the majority of my career started in the dot-com bubble and burst. Um, I know I'm dating myself a little bit, but, uh, you know, it, it, it really helped me understand what it meant to be a job seeker facing barriers. Now, I didn't, I didn't know how to name it then, but I don't have a college degree. And so, you know, getting into tech, it was a great time. You could have any idea you wanted and somebody would fund it. There were lots of companies that existed that don't exist anymore. Um, and it was a great time to just jump into a, a career. And I started off in, in operations, but I didn't have a college degree. And so when the bubble burst, I went from making $90,000 a year to $11.75 an hour. And 
really struggled with finding a role in which my skill set matched. I, I had a lot of skill set in operations. I had a lot of hands-on education, but I didn't have that degree. And so there kind of started my journey into understanding what it meant to um, come up against bias and come up against kind of barriers to entry. Um, when I was at Google, I actually joined the first diversity team that was there. And it was the first company that I worked for at the time that had anything around diversity. I was like, what is this? What is this thing um, that that we're going to focus on? I was a founding uh, leader of the Black Googlers Network and went from just a community of people to strategy for the company to attract, recruit, retain, and develop um, employees into the company. And it really gave me my first foray into HR um, and how things are you know, when you really take a look at all of the systems that are in place, there is so much bias that runs through them. When you're looking at how you recruit people, when you look at how you're trying to retain them, performance, how you reward people, it really was a kind of firsthand education into that space. Um, and then I kind of moved on into other roles. I, I was, let's see, candidly, I was tired of pushing a boulder uphill when it came to diversity um, and, and really getting that kind of accountability within a company. And so I decided to switch my career and I went into communications because I love communications. I think communications is such an enabler of the really good work to be done. Um, and so I switched into that and at another company, the incoming chief people officer recognized me and my work and what I had done in past companies and sucked me back in to kind of culture and inclusion. That's where I got into psychological safety. And that whole world is phenomenal, really about making sure, you know, no one wants to be made to feel stupid for having a new idea or pushing against the status quo. And so that was really fascinating for me. I really did a lot of research on psychological safety. Fast forward, come to Indeed. And when I started at Indeed, almost four years ago, uh, I started as just the VP of inclusion. It was really to take their wonderful culture that they had at Indeed and really create more strategy around the space. So not just our employee base and the kind of the grassroots work, but really looking at our products. I took on accessibility for the company, looking at product inclusion, and that actually evolved into bringing on social impact and then ESG is what was launched just in 2021. So I still have roots in diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, which is what we call it at Indeed, but it has expanded so much into kind of just doing good, not only for the world, but and, and having that purpose, but also really taking a look at driving company strategy and looking at how to match what our mission is to the work that we're doing for ESG. Oh, well, thank you so much for sharing. And it's really interesting listening to your story because 
you know, earlier on, you talked about the the work that you and, and Indeed are doing to help unemployed people find jobs more quickly and to hear your own story of, of having that journey in your career. And as I'm sure you know, you know, sadly, one of the um, attributes that is predictive of lower life satisfaction is actually unemployment. So, um, but also listening to your journey, I was... Uh, interested that you were previously the vice president of inclusion. And I loved that you talked about diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. And of course, all four are absolutely pivotal. I would love if you could give me the definition, the difference between diversity, inclusion, and belonging in your own words, LaFawn. Sure, sure. So that was absolutely an evolution. It was just inclusion. And I'm like, inclusion's great, but there's so much on the spectrum of this work that needs to happen. And so originally I brought in when I came in 2019, diversity, inclusion and belonging. And then inclusion and belonging became one of our uh, core values, which is amazing. So diversity is more of an outcome of the work that happens. Right. Diversity is what your workforce looks like. It is making sure that you um, not not just, you know, around gender and, you know, um, uh, ethnicity or or any of the the normal demographics. It's, It's really about making sure that you have a mix of people from different backgrounds, different experiences, different thought leadership. And that could be in a cultural element. It could be because of, you know, a gender outlook. It could be a lot of different things, but it's really about making sure that you have lots of different ways to look at how to move your business forward. And, and that really creates, you know, great teams, right? Having that diversity creates great teams, but that's more of an outcome of inclusion and belonging. So inclusion is about the environment that you create, It is about making sure that people have a seat at the table, that their voice can be heard. Belonging is a little bit different, and that is more attached to psychological safety. And when I came into Indeed, I'm like, everyone should feel like they belong. Everyone. No matter where you come from, what you look like, what you're doing, what your role is, you should all all feel like you belong, especially if we're all trying to achieve the same mission to help all people get jobs. And that's that psychological safety element. Um, you know, we have, you know, a saying at Indeed, yesterday's best is not good enough for tomorrow's Indeed. And so that psychological safety element really comes in because if you have people that don't have fear, then they can give new ideas, they can, they can ask questions, they can push against the status quo, they can take us into the future with, um, you know, being emboldened to speak up and use their voice more. On the psychological safety point, I think that's a really important point. And I actually have the book on the bookshelf behind me. I think it was Amy Edmondson, um, Professor Amy Edmondson from Harvard, who who coined the term with her book, The Fearless Leader. Um, But my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, that psychological safety is that, that I feel safe to just share my opinion, that if I'm in a meeting, I'm not sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, what will everybody think if, if, if I say what's on my mind, that you're free of that fear and you can just contribute and everybody contributes equally. Would that be a fair definition? That is a great definition. And that is correct. It is that fear that stops people from truly innovating. 
Yeah. Right. And so it's, it, it is giving ideas, but it's also asking questions. It's also saying, okay, like I know we did it that way in the past, but maybe we can do it differently going forward or what do we need today? And so it's different than trust. Sarah, I, I trust that you are going to ask me questions today. I trust that. I trust that when you tell me you're going to do something, you're going to do it. And that's a little bit different than psychological safety. Psychological safety is more of a team dynamic. Yeah. Right. It's 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 the understanding that the group is going to give you the benefit of the doubt so that you can use your voice. Yeah, no, that's really, really helpful. Um as, as yeah. you were talking, I was reminded there, there was an old uh, adage, and I'm sure you've heard it before, that diversity is being invited to the party, but inclusion is being asked to dance. Um, and I always feel that belonging is feeling like you can just be yourself when you're dancing. So even if you're dancing in a quirky style and your rhythm is a bit off, you can just be free and be yourself. Um, is that sort of a fair... Um, description of that feeling of a sense of belonging as well. I normally say I I'd adapted that that saying of uh, that belonging is knowing all the songs. Oh, lovely! Belonging is like that's my jam. That's my jam over there. That, that's my song. Right? You you feel like you feel like you're part of the party because these are all of your songs and everybody else's songs. And I think. You know, if we bring in equity to that same saying, that's really making sure that we're playing different genres of songs so that everyone feels like they are a part of it as well. So it's not just the, oh, I know that song. Yeah, this is my song. And I know it doesn't matter how I'm dancing. Everybody's having a good time. But equity is like, okay, not only is my kind of songs played, but so are yours. And so is that person over there. And so is that person over there. And so you feel like you're having an equitable time. And it's not just one kind of, you know, it's not just pop or it's not just. <laughs> I, I have to say, Lafon, that is one of the best definitions I've ever heard. And I now know that should I ever decide that I'm going to go and work for Indeed, I can be assured that at some point I will hear some late 80s or early 90s pop, which is where, where I musically feel I belong. Um, but but I think that that's okay. wonderful. One of the things that I really want to get out of this podcast is that every episode, listeners go away with an actionable tip that they can put into play in their everyday life. And I was hoping that you could provide an actionable tip that our listeners can do to become better advocates for diversity, inclusion, and crucially belonging in their day-to-day workplace. And this is really for anybody, no matter what your role is. Most definitely. So many things. But I think, you know, no matter where you are in a company, I think what you can first do is try to set the environment, the culture in which diversity can thrive. The the worst thing you can do is look at demographics and numbers and just go, okay, how do we change the percentages of those? Because if you, there are companies that spend millions upon millions of hiring a more diverse workforce, and then that workforce leaves less than a year later because they're not in an environment in which they can thrive. So focus on setting a culture of inclusion, belonging, psychological safety, so that you can attract a more diverse workforce and they'll actually want to stay and grow and thrive. 
So that's that's an actionable step. Look look at your culture and make sure that it is actually welcoming and open to everyone. The second thing that I think um, people can do in a, in a company, and this stems from leadership and, and HR and legal and all of those kind of good places, look at your systems and processes for equity. A lot of times we put processes in place like performance management, and it is built with bias within it. And so what you end up having is disparate impact on already marginalized or vulnerable communities. So take a look at your performance management, for example, and see, you know, are women being disproportionately affected? Are we actually promoting people at the same rate as the population or is it lower? And if it is, what is happening? How is this being built? Or are is there a certain population that have lower ratings, um, you know, quarter over quarter for their performance review? And just, just look at all of your systems, how you recruit and attract, as well as how you retain employees and grow employees, and just make sure it is as unbiased as possible. There is no way to remove 100% because humans are involved and we will always be bias, but that is a core way to, to shift how your workforce grows within your organization. And then lastly, I will say, just keep an eye on things. So really listen to your employees. There has to be some sort of employee listening, sentiment, you know, whether it's Indeed's work well-being, hint, hint, or whether it's engagement surveys or things like that, pulse surveys, where you can understand what is happening um, in your culture for all of your employees. I think with those three things, they are very actionable and you can do them starting today. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, how can anybody understand the needs of others without listening. So um, you, you you dropped a, a, a very well-placed hint there, which is uh, a good segue to the next question, actually. So I guess I was going to move from belonging to well-being. And certainly for yeah. me as, as a woman in business, um, I can't understand how anybody could have a sense of well-being in the workplace if they don't have a sense of belonging. So it really is such a key component. Um, but a lot of people will, you know, know Indeed as a recruitment company, but what they might not realize is that actually you've partnered with uh, the University of Oxford's Wellbeing Research Center um, on the world's largest study of employee well-being. So it does beg the question: Why has a recruitment company moved into the business of well working on well-being? Yeah. That is a great question. I love that question because our, our mission is to help all people get jobs. But underlying that, not only do we want to help all people get jobs, we want to make sure that they're happy when they get there. People that retain their jobs, then that means they're not unemployed anymore, right? And so the happier people are, the more well-being that people have in their jobs, then that actually leads more to economic security then if they get a job and they hate it, or it doesn't give them a feeling of safety, or, or they don't feel like they are being paid fairly, or they don't feel like they belong, then they're going to be looking for their next job, right? As opposed to creating economic security for someone who feels like 
they are well when they get to work. They don't hate it. They are getting all of those attributes that are important. And so it's just kind of extending our mission of not only helping people land the job, but helping people have economic security. And that honestly is a part of the UN SDGs, right? It's, It's decent work. Yeah. And yeah. So sustainable development work. goals from, from the UN. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So it really is about, you know, not just what Indeed can accomplish, but what kind of society do we want to create? We want to make sure that people have decent work, quality jobs and work well-being. I mean, it's wonderful to hear that. And the stats tell us that most of us spend actually over a third of our waking hours at work. So to hear that companies like Indeed are putting such an emphasis, not just on getting a job, but helping people get into roles where they can truly thrive and feel that sense of belonging and and feel that sense of well-being um, is fantastic. So I'd love to hear more about the survey. My understanding is that over 15 million people across the globe have now completed this um, Indeed happiness score or Indeed wellbeing score. And that's from thousands of companies. So obviously that's leading to hundreds and thousands of data points. Tell us what questions that survey asks and, and what the purpose of those questions is. Yeah, so we we actually have 13.3 million surveys done as of December of 2022. Uh, So it could be 15 plus at this point, but as of December, it was 13.3 million. Um, And that means 177 million data points. Wow. 177 million data points is that that still blows me away. I know I'm doing this work, but I still get very excited about the amount of data that we have. And so we're asking questions about not only are you happy at work, but we are asking questions around flexibility and trust and belonging and whether or not people are getting paid fairly. There are lots of questions that get to not only how people feel, uh, at work, but also what are the things that are important to employees? I think 80% of people said that they look for different attributes of work well-being before they apply to a company. Yeah. They're looking for this information somewhere to see if they can understand how the company is. And so if 80% of job seekers are saying they want this information, what we are gathering is what's important to people. And Typically, the things that are important, of course, are, you know, whether or not people are getting paid fairly and flexibility, things like that. But actually, what's important to people are things like trust and flexibility and belonging, right? Of course, people want to get paid fairly. But when you when you ask questions in a way that really gets to the heart of how people feel, it's really about those other things, the, the, the getting paid fairly are table stakes. Yeah. Everyone wants to get paid fairly. Right? But they also want to feel good about the environment that they're in. Yeah. They also want to make sure that it is the kind of company that works for them in their life so that they can be satisfied with their whole life, as opposed to, you know, kind of questions back in the day. I say back in the day, but like as of last year, when we're talking about work-life balance is very different now. People don't think about work-life balance because as you said, we're spending 
at, at least a third, it's probably more at work, right? And so there is no more work-life balance. This is really about how do we have well-being at work in lots of different ways. So that's what the survey gets. It is getting how people feel at work. And of course, that's attributed to certain companies. Some companies are doing great on well-being. Some have, you know, some opportunity to make some changes. But that is what we are working on showing. So that is launching very soon, where companies will be able to take a look at how they're doing on well-being, where their opportunities are, and where they should celebrate. There's some companies that are very mission aligned, and it is clear in their data. And so what we're hoping is that not only will job seekers feel like and employees feel like they are heard because they are asked about how they feel, but companies also see how they're doing and where they can change. So, and I think that's a really important point that you're asking not only how are you feeling, but but why are you feeling that way, um, which is fantastic. As you were talking, I was reminded about something that Charlotte Lockhart said. She's the co-founder of Four Day Week Global. And she said, you know, as employers, um, we borrow people from their life. And I thought it was such a good phrase because if you're going to borrow somebody from their life, you really want to make sure that that's worthwhile and they're, that they're enjoying themselves. So I just thought that's that right. was relevant as, as you said that. Um, but... 177 million data points. Wow. Now this is going to be a tough question, right? That's, that's a lot of data. (laughs) What, when you analyze all of that data, what is the single biggest insight that you've identified that can support companies? I think something interesting that, um, is coming out from our partnership with Oxford and Jan Emanuel, who we work with all the time, is matching how people feel at work with their well-being and how a company's financial performance is. Right. Because the initial initial analysis is that companies that have better subjective well-being actually perform better financially. There's research with the you know S and P 500 and taking a look at those different companies. And that, I think, the more that we do that kind of analysis, the more companies are going to wake up because it's not just about people feeling good. It is about how you perform better as a company, which leads to greater financial results. So, and, and by the way, we had uh, Professor Jan Emanuel Deneuve on an earlier, a previous episode. Um, so he is a co-founder of the World Wellbeing Movement, as you know, but... Um, yes. That to me is groundbreaking because for many, many years, you know, people like you and I and many, many other wonderful leaders have really known that it's important to focus on employee well-being. Our gut tells us that's the right thing to do. But what you're saying is, well, it's not just the right thing to do. It's actually the smart thing to do from an investment perspective because it pays off. Your company will perform better. They will have higher revenues. They'll have higher productivity. They'll have higher stock market returns. Is that right? That's that's correct. So if you think about ESG, going back to what that is, it is the intersection of purpose and profits. Right? It takes it out of 
um, CSR, corporate social responsibility, which could be great and philanthropic and all the things. If you want to save the cats, that's amazing and great. However, if you take a look at your company mission, how you make your products, your revenue, and doing good in the world, it's that intersection of that. And so work well-being is the same. It is how job seekers and employees feel, but how they feel impacts how your company performs. And we believe that allowing companies to see how they're doing in the space, that's different than typical engagement surveys, which is really around, you know, is is a person engaged? How do they feel about their manager? How do they feel about leadership? This is this is different. We're we're measuring different attributes. And what we're hoping is to be able to show companies the better you treat your employees with the things that matter. Again, like putting in a foosball table or a different snack in the kitchen is nice. That never keeps someone at a company. It really doesn't. It's a nice to have. It's great. So what we're hoping to show through, you know, that research and analysis is that correlation between purpose and profit with work well-being. Yeah, I, I love that, the correlation between purpose and profit. Um, I read an, inc- an interesting uh, paper um, around people really feeling that, um, that that sense of purpose, as you say, with their company. And um, the quote was from, from NASA, I believe, if, if I'm correct. And it was from one of the janitors who works in NASA. And they said that their job was helping get people to the moon rather than their job being, you know, maybe, you know, mopping the floor or whatever task they happen to be doing day to day. And and that purpose-driven career is is so important to so many of us. If if we're spending over a third of our waking hours at work, we want to feel Mm -hmm. that we're really achieving something. Um, And I really felt that when you were talking about you know, Indeed as well and Indeed's mission. Um, you've talked about a lot of what, what I would define as as our drivers of well-being. So you've talked about, you know, fair pay, which as you've said, is table stakes, right? We need to be paid fairly, but it's table stakes. Flexibility, which I would argue in this day and age is also table stakes. If we've learned anything from the pandemic, it's that we need to be offering people fair pay. And, and I always say, Actually, the pandemic taught us about a different type of diversity. So we talk about diversity of gender, of sexual orientation, of ethnicity, of experience and skill set. But actually, we've got this diversity of home circumstance. Um, So, you know, some people might flat share. That's not conducive to um, working at home. Some people have small children, elderly relatives. Some people live by themselves, Mm -hmm. etc. so flexibility, I think, is table stakes, but there's all of these other drivers of well-being that, that you're measuring. Which of those drivers have been bubbling to the top as the most important things that employees really feel, look, if I don't have this, I'm not going to have a sense of well-being? Yeah, yeah. So we, the way that we are measuring um, well-being right now are in, in four key areas, and that's purpose, as we've just been talking about, very important to people. Uh, satisfaction, stress, and happiness. But there are lots of other kind of attributes that drive those outcomes as well. Things like uh, achievement or learning or belonging, Um, inclusion, appreciation, flexibility, fair pay and trust are those foundational needs. 
So there are different attributes that actually drive those four outcomes that I mentioned. But, you know, there are things that, again, we think matters, right? So being paid fairly, flexibility, inclusion, um, being able to, you know, achieve at your job. But really what matters the most or what we're finding matters the most is do people feel energized by the work that they're doing? Do they feel like they belong, right? Remember, we, we talked about everyone should feel like they belong, no matter where they are, no matter where they come from, no matter what job they do. If they're a janitor, they're still striving toward that mission, right, of sending people to the moon. No matter what role at Indeed, we all help people get jobs. Um, and then the last one I would say is trust. Yeah. Trust is really important. Having the trust of your manager, having the trust of your team, uh, you know, trust really is what matters to people to feel like they're trusted uh, in a space as well. And so that I think is what's also interesting about the research here is that there are things that people think matters the most. And yes, those things are absolutely important. But when really pressed upon by asking certain questions, we find those other traits are actually rising more to the top outside of the foundational needs. Let's get to what I like to call the rapid fire round. So these are just a few fun questions where we get to know you a little bit better. Now, Lafon, I happen to know um, that you are a mother of a young adult. So I would love to know what is the change that you would like to see in this world for the next generation? Uh, love that question. And I forgot to actually do this normally when I am introduced or I introduce myself, I say my pronouns. So it, my pronouns, my, my intersectional layers, all the things. So my pronouns are she, her, and queen. Yes. Feel free to address me as queen. Um, and then my, my intersectional layers, because none of us are a binary identity. There's, there's, there's no one person that is that. So I am um, black. I am queer. I am a woman. I am of a mm, seasoned, uh, mature age. We're going to go with that. I'm the mother of a, of a young adult. Uh, who will be 24 soon? Aww. And um, and I'm I'm fabulous. So those are my those are my intersectional layers that I like to you know to help people get to know me a little bit better. Um, you know, I I had my son pretty young, and so starting my career, um, the needs that I had was very different. I I needed the utmost flexibility. Anyone who has a young child knows that you are either they're always sick or you're constantly having to do something at the school or the daycare or your, your time needs to be freed up a little bit um, and very flexible in, in the role that you have. Um, and I think now that he is a young adult, um, that flexibility is for me. <laughs> I don't need the flexibility for him so much. Um, but, but I do need the flexibility for me because my jobs have gotten bigger and bigger over time. And I often talk about, you know, the weight of the seat, it gets heavier and heavier, the more that you move up in your career. And so now flexibility is still at the top for me, but it is different because I now just need that for me for more self-care for, you know, being able to unplug so that I can actually show up as a better leader, um, as a better person in the job that I do. So it's still flexibility, but it is just different for why I need it. 
you've had, you know, a really interesting career. And at, at the start of this conversation, you talked about that going right back to the dot-com bubble, to kind of moving into, into your role in Google, to moving then into your role in Indeed, and, and the various transitions there. Thinking about from the perspective of your own well-being, what's been the best job that you've ever been in? Oh, this one. <laughs> and I don't I don't say that because someone's going to watch it and see that I've said another place. Um, it, it honestly is this one because of the impact that I am able to make. I'm able to lead a team of phenomenal, phenomenal people who have really lofty goals to achieve. So I mentioned the goals that we have toward the year 2030. Um, I love my team. I love my team. And previously, even though there were some really good goals around diversity and other things like that, um, the investment in the work wasn't as significant as it is at Indeed. So I would sometimes be a a team of one, a team of one and a half, um, trying to make significant change and notice that there there was... um, there was the right words that were said, but not necessarily the investment, not necessarily the budget, the team and the drive and the accountability to get stuff done. Yeah. And that is what's different for me. I think in my role now, I've also had some incredible sponsorship by some amazing leaders at Indeed. And that has made all the difference as well. Things that I hadn't done before, right? So I was like, okay, well, diversity, inclusion, belonging. Sure, accessibility fits in that. Let me take that on. That's product work. I'm not an engineer, though I have written about four lines of code. Um, so that that was significant, being able to try new things, having the psychological safety to raise my hand, even though I don't necessarily have the experience. So I, I now have you know, product team. I now have AI ethics. So I have these technical roles in my organization that I didn't have in other jobs. And so just the breadth, the the support to do new things has been so amazing in this role. And I'm able to make impact across so many different areas that I hadn't done before. But I do want to get to, because I think we can learn a lot from when things don't work out so well. So out of interest, what's the worst job that you've had thinking from the perspective of your well-being? And please don't mention the name of the company, but (laughs) maybe describe the role and, and why that maybe gave you a poorer sense of well-being. Yeah. Okay, I won't name. Actually, I don't. I don't think they exist anymore. But I won't name the name. Um, so it was. It was a company. Uh, is when the bubble started to burst, and I. I had gotten laid off. Um, in the role that I was in, which was um, an engineering product project manager. Uh, I never really had the autonomy to do, the job that I thought I was supposed to be doing. Um, I didn't have the autonomy for it. And I also didn't get recognized when I did good work. And so when it, when it came down to it and it was time to start um, reducing the workforce, it, it was, it, it felt kind of like a slap in the face mm-hmm. in a way, because I, 
it, you know, it was it had some fun stuff. It was a startup. It had, you know, all that kind of great environment. But I felt um, uh, handcuffed. I felt like I was kind of tied where I couldn't really do the good work I knew I really wanted to do. And then when I did some amazing things, there was nothing. It was crickets. And so I was like, I, I was getting paid very well. None of that was an issue. Um, it was pretty flexible or as flexible as it needed to be for me at the time. But that was really important to me. Yeah. But getting, getting recognized for good work was really important to me. Being able to have the, you know, the, the term didn't exist then. Psychological safety didn't exist as a term then. But that's what was missing for me. Yeah. Because I never felt like I could. Well, hey, what about that? No. Okay. All right. Well, how about we look at. No, I'm not going to do. Okay. That's fine. And so now there's a name to it, right? Now I can look back and go, I was missing all of that then. And I was also missing recognition for work well done. Um, And so that was hard for me. So getting laid off from that felt almost like I didn't even get a chance. Yeah. Right. I didn't get a chance to actually make this the type of job that I really wanted. But it, of course, as all stories like that uh, end, it ended up being a good thing because that catapulted my interest in job seekers facing barriers and it catapulted kind of my career into a different space. And, you know, as I listen to this, I think we all take those experiences and, and they make us better leaders, I suppose. And, and, and certainly I imagine that you, who now has a, a large team, you know, are, are taking those learnings and, and ensuring that everybody has a voice. And I know you are because you've said it and, and, and everybody has autonomy. And importantly, people are appreciated for the work they do. I think we've probably all had that kind of pang of pain where we've worked really hard on something and nobody even says thank you. Um, just simple appreciation, yeah. <laughs> let alone recognition. And it really is so important. Um, which brings me to my next question. As a leader, what are the other things that you focus on to ensure and to nurture the well-being of your team members? Yeah, so there's... There's a few things. So for my my leaders on my team, I'm like, there are, there are three things that I can do for you. I can um, provide you air cover. I can remove obstacles out of your way and then I will get out of your way. So those are the three things that I commit to my leadership team to do for them. Define um, air for- cover for me. Air covers. So lots of things kind of are flying. Like we got to plan this. We have to do that. There's a due date over here. What about this work? Stay the course. Don't get distracted. Let me handle this over here. If there's conflict or friction, put me in coach, right? Like, <laughs> let, let me take care of that for you so that you can focus on doing the work that needs to be done. So you're like a human shield. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's fantastic. <laughs> For my team, most definitely. I want to protect them at all costs. I want them to be able to do the good work. Um, and so when there are things that are disruptive or maybe in opposition to some of the priorities we have, then I step in yeah. to, you know, get clear some of that up, to untangle some of the things. Some of it is pushing back. Like, why do we need to do this right now? <laughs> what is the purpose of X? Whereas naturally, most people would just do all the things that are coming our way. Discernment is really important. Yeah. 
it's really important. There's going to be lots of requests that come from lots of different places, but allow me to be the discerner who can say, okay, not now, or yes, this makes sense and we can incorporate it in this way. And I think my team um, appreciates that. I think for the larger organization, I try to think about the five love languages of <laughs> of, of, of uh, recognition and workplace recognition. Um, so kind of like the love languages, uh, quality time, um, things like um, <laughs> physical touch normally makes people uh, cringe in a workplace environment, but that could be a high five. Yes, yes. <laughs> that, that could, right. <laughs> Ask, ask permission, but that yes. could be a hug. That could be a high five. Quality time could be spending your one-on-ones with your team. So I have one-on-ones, but I also have skip level one-on-ones to make sure that, you know, the people that report to the people that I lead um, have some engagement with me. Um, you know, words of affirmation are really important to some people. Yes. Um, you know, so I, I look at I look at like the the love languages of what you can do at work to make sure people do feel appreciated and probably stems from, you know, the question you just asked me about the worst job I ever had and not feeling appreciated, not feeling recognized. I want to make sure that the things that are important to them are what's done. It's not the same for everyone. Some yeah. people are like, just give me a bonus. <laughs> right. Other people love that email that you send and you CC the CEO. Yeah. Um, other people love that that time to be able to ask you questions and get more insight. And so trying to understand the organization a little bit better so that they feel like they are definitely part of the team and they are welcome and, and recognized is really important. So Lafon, you are looking after your team, you're sponsoring the next generation, you're being a human shield when all of these extra deliverables come flying at people. Final question, what are you doing to look after your own well-being on a daily basis? Yeah, so I just started a new kind of ritual recently, and that is um, getting up earlier so I can focus on me. Wonderful. Um, I am not a morning person at all. The, the uh, My brain is like an old car, so I I it needs to like warm up. Right. It's not until about 9 30, 10 o'clock that you're going to get the genius um, from me. So I get up a little bit earlier so that I can just breathe, mm -hmm. focus on myself. I don't look at work email right away. Um, I don't feed the dogs right away. <laughs> I just focus on myself. And I have found that that's been great because I was doing kind of like a revenge thing, right? I'm spending so much time at work. Work is not going to get an ounce more time and I'm going to sleep until the last possible minute and get up right before my first meeting. Oh gosh, it was, it that was, sounds it stressful. <laughs> yeah, it was. So I, I do that now and I try to have more time where I can meditate or I can breathe and I can start my day um, in a much more positive way than I did before. And I think that ritual provides another great actionable tip for our listeners, which is back slowly away from your phone or laptop first thing in the morning and resist that temptation to check your work emails first thing in the morning. Allow yourself to wake up and get up gently and get into your day a little bit more gently before you welcome in all of those emails that have come in, particularly if you're working in a multinational organization where people in different parts of the world will have been sending you, e you emails while you're sleeping. So absolutely. Lafon, Queen Lafon, 
Um, you have been fabulous and I have loved chatting to you. Um, there, there, there's a great quote, um, you, you can't be what you can't see. I think it, it was Marion Wright Edelman and you are the most incredible role model to so many people, very much myself included. Um, it has been an absolute honour to have you on our podcast today. And I just want to say a huge thank you for your time. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Sarah. I think you're amazing and awesome and wonderful. And I will talk to you and have conversations with you anytime. Oh, brilliant. Brilliant.